Hello, Iterative Marketers. Welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast, where each week we give marketers and entrepreneurs actionable ideas, techniques, and examples to improve your marketing results. If you want notes and links to the resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. There you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow Iterative Marketers. Now let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Robinson, and with me as always is the bright and cheery Elizabeth Aaron. How are you doing today? I'm well, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. We're trying to prioritize spring cleaning projects around Mm. our house this week. We're in the same boat. Um, We started last week and uh, we didn't go about this in the most organized fashion. Rather than taking one room at a time, we sort of did everything at once. Um, So things have been pulled out of closets and out of drawers. And um, to top it off, I had a a large number of Amazon packages arrive this week. So our entryway is filled with boxes. So we literally look like we belong in an episode of Hoarders. It's, it's, It's fantastic. Yes, but you're still at least one week ahead of us in starting your spring cleaning. So you're still winning. (laughs) And I will say we are being ruthless. Like usually I'm like, oh, we should hold on to this. I might need it sometime in the future. And we're like, nope, get it out of here. So we've got a a huge pile. The problem is we just don't know what to do with all this stuff now. So I know. And I never feel great about donating it to Goodwill because uh, I I just feel like I want to find a better home for it, like a a woman's shelter or a a, a nonprofit organization or childcare or something, you know, some better home than, than, than just goodwill, you know? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to make that decision. There's so many people that are in need and you want to give it to the right person. So, Mm -hmm. so what are we actually talking about today? If not spring cleaning? Yeah. So today we're going to talk about the changing relationship between sales and marketing. And when we say that, we're not talking about the silos that exist between these two departments. We know that they're there. We know this is an issue and that we're going to talk about that a little bit in this episode because it kind of ties into it. But really what we're focusing on is the external factors that are influencing how these two departments not only interact with each other, but interact with the consumer as well. So we'll start out by talking about some of the change that's really occurred, mostly from the consumer perspective, and then talk about how that's impacted sales and marketing. Um, we'll talk about what we need to do as marketers then moving forward into the future in order to adapt and, and, and overcome this change. So I think it makes sense to start it at the beginning, obviously, but how is consumer behavior impacting the relationship between sales and marketing? You mentioned that, but can you get more into it? Yeah, I think if you look at the symptom of this change, the biggest symptom of this change is the fact that consumers are interacting with sales much, much later in the buying process, in their buyer's journey. They're not coming to sales as one of the first touch points, but rather one of the last. So this is impacting not only when the consumer interacts with the sales team, but how they're interacting with the sales team as well. And really it's shaped by four forces. There's really four things that have totally messed with the way that consumers interact with, with brands that have, to- that have cha- resulted in this change. The, the biggest one, obviously, is, is the internet and what that means as far as people's access to information. It used to be that there was a huge asymmetry between the information that the buyer had and the information that the seller had. Really, the seller held those cards. That's not so true today. 
Yeah, with the introduction of, of the internet, it sort of leveled the playing field. And where before the consumer was forced to go to the salesperson to get information, now they had access to that information on their own. And so they were able to go online anytime they wanted, look for any type of information, good or bad, um, and, and do their own research before they ever had a conversation with the salesperson. And this changes the power dynamic because mm-hmm. um, really the salesperson held the cards in the past. Now the consumer can have the cards because the consumer... Um, you know, we all do this too. We take the time to educate ourselves before we, we even hit the store shelves, before we add to cart on an e-commerce site, and definitely before we approach a salesperson. I mean, you, you see this particularly in the in instances of like buying a car. Can you imagine walking into a car lot without having done at least 30 minutes, if not 20 hours of research before you before you even hit that car lot no there are people out there that do that they are the exception to the rule though most consumers are going online and doing their own research and this isn't just those big purchases and this is not just those those purchases where we're interacting with salespeople we're doing this with the day-to-day stuff that we're buying as well mm-hmm. um, you know we're, we're looking at things online we're adding them to their cart I am notorious for this I will put it in my Amazon cart um, and then go to Target and buy it there or or vice versa I'll see something at Target and then come back and there's this um, kind of overlap that's happening happening between our, our online and our brick-and-mortar sales. And Google calls this a zero moment of truth coming um, off of uh, Procter & Gamble's first moment of truth. Uh, I definitely recommend you go Google that, take a look at it. We'll link to some stuff in the show notes as well. But uh, uh, read up on the, on, on the, 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 the zero moment of truth because I think it will really shed a light on, on how this has changed consumer behavior. But that's not the only thing that's that that's really changed. What else has changed? So something else that's changed and has had a huge impact is is the globalization and virtualization, um, and really the what the internet has done in terms of leveling the playing field um, from across multiple industries. We're not just talking about one. I mean, we're seeing this over and over and over again. Yeah, globalization and virtualization of 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 whole industries is is happening left and right. And you see this. Think think 99designs and what that did to the graphic design industry. Uh, you no longer would reach out to that person that you knew locally to be that designer for you. Instead, you would you would simply upload some specs to a site. And and it, it, it's not just graphic design. This is across all kinds of different types of services. And there's whole marketplaces. You see like Upwork, which used to be called Odesk. You've got Fiverr. You've got Elance. And, and then there's niche, you know, um, uh, uh, it, marketplaces as well for writers or for um, graphics people or videographers or or whatever you can think of there there's at least a a a generic marketplace if not a specific marketplace and this isn't just um, you know digital the digital labor marketplace we're seeing this with universities we are seeing this pop up you can go to pretty much pick a school anywhere in the world and attend it because it's now available online Yep. And you can get bookkeeping. There's a company called bench.co that will do bookkeeping from anywhere. You've got, um, uh, you can buy insurance. You can hire a personal assistant. I'm mean, anything that doesn't require fixing, maintaining, or, uh, 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 building something. Uh, if you don't have to physically touch something, you can get it done online and anywhere. And, and this is just the start. I mean, it, it feels like the, you know, this is, this is upending industries left and right, but this is just the start. Imagine when you can uh, put on a pair of VR goggles and interact with things semi-physically in the real world, what that means for your vendor relationships and how many of them need to be local. Does your accountant need to be local? Does your lawyer need to be local? 
Uh, I mean, it, it, it's amazing to think about how this is going to change over the, over the course of the, last, in the next couple of years, including how it's changed the last couple. And what this means for us as marketers is we really have to make a huge shift in how we market and how we sell because we're not competing on price anymore. That's not an option. When when you're you're a designer and, and you're in Chicago um, or you're in New York or you're in LA and you're competing with someone in, in India or in Russia, you you can't compete on price. And so you really have to find um, find a way to connect with your prospects um, and, and get them to to know, like, and trust you and establish that relationship so that they're not just looking at, at the the monetary angle of it. They're looking at, at the service that you're delivering. And that connection has to be digital and that has to be able to happen, you know, even asynchronously. So you're not connecting necessarily in the same time zone. It has to be able to happen um, in, a, in, a, in a virtual context and it needs to feel just as if I was going down the road and interviewing a lawyer at the local law office um, to that prospect and to that consumer. So the third force that's that's sort of changing this relationship is the expectation of personalized service. And companies like Amazon and Netflix have really changed how um, how we interact with products. It's it's changed the level of personalization that marketing is able to offer in a way that we we could never have imagined in the past, but now have come to expect. Yeah, and it's got, it's coming out in very soft ways. Um, I think even we as consumers probably don't see how our expectations have changed on a day to day basis. But um, what you do see is um, uh, people pushing back on irrelevancy. Right? We 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 get frustrated when something pops up in our Facebook feed that that is irrelevant to us and and we get angry and, and upset about it when we get ads either in the um, in the mail or we get spam via email or we get um, we see ads uh, bombarding the websites that we're visiting and they're not personalized and relevant to us that's when we start installing ad blockers and mm-hmm. get frustrated about our junk mail um, when it's relevant it's not that big of a deal but our threshold our, our tolerance for that irrelevance is dropping day by day and and as marketers um, flipping that table, we need to be better about personalizing, um, especially so that that handoff to sales becomes seamless when they get into the picture. And we talked about this. Um, we had a, a really intri- interesting dive into this in our last episode, so we'll link to that if you didn't get a chance to check it out. But it's it's interesting because you know we've gotten so used to um, you know these these online retailers predicting what we want and when we want it, and you know again we've gotten a taste of it. We want to keep it going. That now when when someone doesn't deliver that to us, not only is it frustrating and and sort of annoying to us, but it actually becomes a brand turnoff. Yeah, I was shopping for an accountant recently, and and uh, I noticed that uh, for one of the firms I was looking at, all of a sudden the messaging flipped over to mergers and acquisitions, which you know we're not in the process of merging or acquiring or being merged or being acquired. So this was very irrelevant messaging to me, but it made me think that that was that what that brand was focused on, and and therefore I started to discount them, um, and. And the, the, the reality is, I, I don't think that five years ago that would have occurred to me as much, but I assume now that I'm getting the messages that the brand intends for me to get. And that assumption just is, is, is sort of new in the marketplace. What else? What else is changing? 
you know, the fourth thing here is that we've become an on-demand culture. Um, and if you think about it, you know, when do you go anywhere without your smartphone um, or your multiple smartphones or your smartphones or your smartphone and your tablet? Um, we expect to be able to get what we want when we want it. Um, you know, if it's it's two o'clock in the morning and you wake up remembering to do something, your phone is, is on the nightstand next to you. You can pick it up and you can do it right then. Um, you know, you want to watch TV, you have Netflix, you have Amazon Prime, you've got all of these other opportunities where you don't have to, to wait for your show to come on. You can find exactly what you want to watch, when you want to watch it, and without any distractions like commercials. Yeah, I think this is exemplified. If you've ever been on a plane that was supposed <laughs> to have Wi-Fi and then didn't, Mm-hmm. The groan that you hear through the whole plane when they say, I'm sorry, but the Wi-Fi service scheduled for today's flight is not available. Um, yeah, because people expect to have that connectivity, that ability to get stuff done, to do what they want to do or be entertained the way they want to be entertained now, not mm-hmm. later. It's like we've all no, become this- two-year-olds. Yeah, no, we, we have. Um, this on-demand culture has has really like encourage this lack of patience in all of us and that lack of patience extends you know to a back and forth with the sales team we don't we don't want to wait for them to call us back we don't want to wait for them to give us information you know if i'm working on a project at six o'clock in the evening and i need to know what i need to know i need to go online and find it i don't want to have to wait until tomorrow when i'm going to be you know immersed in another task and i can't think about it and so um you know we're really looking for uh, this really smooth experience with as little human interaction or or involvement as as we can get away with so that we can get done what we need to do. Yeah, and if one company will, you know, reveals pricing, for example, on their website and another mm-hmm. company doesn't, and I need to plug pricing into my project right now, uh, you, you can guess which company is going to end up specced into my project. It's going to be the one that I can get the data, the information, the knowledge I need right now. And and that that that's a shift. That's a change. So these four forces that have pushed this first interaction away from – uh, the earlier states of the sales of the of the buyer's journey into the the latter stages of the buyer's journey, um, before they were really reaching out um, in think state. Now they only want to talk to someone if they're in do state, and even then, it's typically late in do state. And this isn't necessarily a good thing. No, no. The last the last solid stat I'm able to find is a few years out of date. It's the one that that Google likes to bat around anytime they start talking B two B, and that's. Um, uh, from a study in, in 2014 where they, they say that um, the average B2B buyer is at least 57% of the way through the buyer's journey before they are ever interacting with a brand. That's filling out a form on a website, that's that's talking to a salesperson, that's picking up the phone, whatever it might be. Um, they're, they're well over halfway done. And, and you can bet at that point they already have a predetermined um, uh, solution set that they're looking for. They they have a timeline. They have a short list of vendors that they're looking at. All of that has been established. And so if you haven't been at the table before that, um, you're at a huge disadvantage um, when they do finally get around to to reaching out. Yeah, they've already formed an opinion. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, that opinion may not necessarily be true. Maybe they were missing a key piece of information or they misinterpreted something. But um, you know, we're, it, it gets to the point where it's it's too late. They already have this idea in their mind of of what you're offering or what you're not offering, and and now you're off that that short list, and you don't even get to be part of the conversation. And they're armed with a whole bunch of information as they go to interact with sales mm-hmm. or in, with your marketing collateral, and you don't know where that information came from. That information probably came to some extent from your competitors, and may or may not paint you in the right light. So um, it becomes more and more important that, that, that 
sales and marketing work together to overcome some of this change. And that's exactly what we'll talk about when we get back to uh, the episode from helping some people. So let's go do that. Before we continue, I'd like to take a quick moment to ask you iterative marketers a small but meaningful favor and ask that you give a few dollars to a charity that's important to one of our own. This week, we are asking that you make a donation to The Mission Continues. Serving cities nationwide, this unique model allows veterans to build new skills and networks that help them successfully reintegrate to life after the military, while making long-term sustainable impacts on their community. Learn more at missioncontinues.org or visit the link in the show notes. If you would like to submit your cause for consideration for our next podcast, please visit iterativemarketing.net slash podcast and click the share a cause button. We love sharing causes that are important to you. And we're back. So before the break, we talked about this massive change and, and these these four vectors of change in, in, in people's expectations and the way that they interact with brands during the buyer's journey. Now let's talk about how that actually impacts sales and marketing. Um, uh, let's start with sales. What, what, is, what is the impact on sales for all, from all this change? So sales really needs to be present earlier in the buyer's journey. That's, that's key to getting in front of these consumers, getting a chance to influence that decision, which is what we're trying to do when we're in the think state. The funny thing is, I don't know that really sales is entirely on the same page uh, about how to be earlier in the buyer's journey or the need to, to, to be earlier in the buyer's journey. They understand some, some other core concepts. I mean, best practices talk about um, consultative selling, and you see this basically in any leading sales book. There is a, a section, if not the whole book, is dedicated to becoming a trusted advisor or a consultant or asking the big questions and not, not just being an order taker, right? But they don't talk about how to position yourself early enough in that buyer's journey to actually be in that role. And based on what we've seen, you know, this is this is this is reinforced by these real life experiences when we're sitting down and talking to sales teams. They they get the concepts. They're talking about, you know, spin selling. They're talking about being becoming a trusted advisor. But they're not applying that. No, at the same time, they're asking for sales ready leads. They're asking for um, AI and and predictive analytics and 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 they want all of these whiz bang technologies to go and find the people that are in market and ready to pull the trigger now so that they can be most effective with their time talking to the people that are really truly ready to buy. It's interesting because the same things that have influenced consumers and changed their behavior have changed the expectations of the sales team. Um, they want it now. They've gotten a taste of, of those sales ready leads and now they, they, they want more of them and, and they're not willing to wait because these other, you know, the four forces we outlined have encouraged them not to be patient. They don't have to be because they know there are people out there and, and, and they want to cherry pick those people so that they can really spend their time focusing on who's ready to buy now and not having to, to spend a longer time trying to convert somebody or trying to nurture somebody. Yeah, it's almost as if the, the consumer has trained the salesperson to not have to nurture them, to not have to be consultative because by the time the consumer gets there, they've already made up their mind to buy their product. That doesn't work in a competitive situation nearly as well because uh, if I'm the consumer, am I going to buy from the salesperson that swooped in at the last minute with the right solution at exactly the time as I was ready to buy or am I going to buy from the salesperson who was there from the beginning and was feeding me information and was being consultative, even if I wasn't really ready to engage? 
And again, there's always exceptions to that um, if you've got a product that's or a service that's just so different than anyone else in the market. But I think for most of us, and again, how um, the research that, that the consumer is doing and how they're positioning and how they're understanding, that, that doesn't happen that often. And we can't rely on that. Or if we rely on that, I don't think our sales team is going to meet some of their sales goals. So we have to find a different way of making this work. So that puts um, increased demand on marketing, right? Because now marketing is bearing a, a bigger section of that buyer's journey and marketing is expected to uh, generate uh, the demand that it's always generated, but also these these leads, right? Sales wants those leads to be more qualified and, and more primed than ever before. Um, and they expect marketing to deliver that. Um, on the other hand, the consumer wants a personalized experience that fits their specific needs. And they want to feel like they know and like and trust the brand that they're thinking about doing business with. Um, and not only the brand, but the salesperson. I, mean, I think they play a very, obviously play a very important role in this as well. The question is, how do we do this when the buyer's interacting with sales at a later date? How do we build up that, 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 um, you know, affinity with not only the the brand, but the salesperson when they don't even want it, the consumer doesn't even want to reach out to the salesperson until they're ready to make a decision. Yeah, it's as if it's as if marketing has to play salesperson to some extent and deliver that 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 same degree of of consultation and personalization to to that buyer's experience in order to compensate for the fact that the the consumer wants self-service. They want to be self-sufficient. They want to feel like they're educating themselves, not like they're being educated by the, the, the brand or a salesperson. And we can't ask the consumer to change. They're not going to change. And so it's really up to us, marketing and sales, that has to kind of revise our process to, to fit into the expectations that the consumer has set. And I think one of the ways that we can really change our process is to start to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, to try and make this sort of a visual thing, it used to be that you had the first half of the buyer's journey was marketing's job. The second half was sales job. And, and somewhere in the middle, marketing flipped a lead over the, over the fence, over to sales to go in and, and close. But I think that, that that picture is dated, that that model is dated, and now you have to um, uh, instead of having a, a sale or marketing on the left and sales on the right, you have to actually um, make them overlap so that that buyer's journey, uh, you know, leads with marketing while that buyer is in C state. They're 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 encountering marketing messages, not sales messages, because they they're they're not in market. But as they enter Think, they should be getting a mixture of both. They should they should start getting some of some messaging from sales, some messaging from marketing. And then as they move into do, that's the point when marketing starts to fade away because that's when you hit that level of personalization and customization that, that marketing can't do, right? We don't know which which buttons are turn offs instead of turn ons. So so then marketing fades off and sales picks up. So it becomes a, a, a transition where you have both sales and marketing as part of that buyer's journey for the middle portion. And what that look like, looks like really varies based on, on sort of your sales cycle. Um, in some cases, it may be a few days, a few weeks. It could be a few months. It, it really depends on, on what your buying and sales cycle looks like and, and also what your consumers are demanding. The tools are going to be a, a little different too, but in general, the, I, I think if you want to get down to the tactical tool level, um, this is really enabled more and more today by, by some of the technology that's available on the marketing automation front as well as on the account-based marketing or ABM front. And uh, um, I don't want to make this a tool show or a tactic show, but... Uh, um, that's really the tool set that'll help you 
bridge that gap and introduce that salesperson earlier in an automated way and at the same time make sure that your marketing is personalized as that as that consumer moves through that journey and bridging this gap finding a way to accomplish this is a win-win for everyone because marketing gets the chance to influence the decision making process the consumers given access to the resources they want in the time they want without a lot of pressure and then sales is able to then focus their limited selling time um, to those leads that are ready to buy now and no one feels like they've been left behind everyone's getting what they want so again win-win for everyone But in order for this to work, it's not just a matter of applying tools and technologies. Yes, we have marketing automation and ABM to help facilitate this. But you can't have the siloed environment of sales and marketing sitting on opposite sides of the fence and 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 marketing just flipping leads over to sales. It it, it can't work that way anymore if it if it if it still does or has in your organization. Um, Instead, we need to do some things to improve. Improve the collaboration and the interaction of those those two groups. We really want to focus on shifting our mindset and the mindset of the sales team from pushing a product or service to supporting the needs of the of the prospect. Yeah, it's not about what we as a brand or as a sales organization want to say. It's about what the prospect needs to hear, and and that gets into customer centric or prospect centric or persona centric sales and marketing. Um, and, and away from features and benefits and, and, and pushing product. Customer-centric marketing. Easier said than done, or, or is it? It's, it's hard, you know, I, I, especially when you start trying to get the sales team and the marketing team aligned and, and talking about that customer, that prospect, because um, to, to, to go total cliche here, I mean, sales is from uh, Mars and marketing is from Venus, right? I mean, we, we, we don't even speak the same language. And I think that's where it starts is, um, you know, how we, one of the ways that we increase that collaboration is that we start to understand the difference between the vocabularies that we're using. Let's go through some, some vocabulary here because we, we did prepare, prepare a slight vocabulary list here. Let's start with a lead. What is a lead to marketing? So when marketing's referring to a lead, they're speaking specifically about a record in their database. And see, when sales is talking about a lead, we're talking about a, a, an in for a new account. We're talking about um, uh, an opportunity in the form of an individual with a perceived need or maybe even just knowledge of a need within an organization that doesn't even involve a person at all. And right off the bat, you know, you've got marketing here and sales here, and there's this big gap in the middle that's not being taken care of. So we're already starting, we're, we're in the lead process and we're already starting off on the wrong foot. We haven't connected with each other. Yeah. What about a, a contact or a person? What does that mean to marketing? So as a lead moves into marketing's idea of a contact or, or a person, um, marketing is referring to someone who uh, needs to be nurtured. We want to change their heart and mind to love our brand and want our product and service. We want them to, to fall in love with us and seek us out. See, and sales looks at a contact as simply having a role within the sales process. So they're either a decision maker, an influencer, a gatekeeper, um, uh, almost an impediment or, or a, either an impediment or a vehicle to close a deal, right? Again, we're looking for two different outcomes from the same person. And so when we sit in a meeting and we're talking about a new contact or a new person, what I'm envisioning in my head for marketing and what Steve's envisioning in his head for sales, we don't have the same person. Yeah. How about targeting? What does targeting look like? So targeting, I think marketing is very familiar with this. We're talking about demographics. We're talking about personas. We're talking about segmentation. Anything that's going to allow us to whittle down that sea of prospects to a finite audience that we can then market to, that we know is interested in our product. 
and sales sees targets as a, a list of target accounts that we're going to go and try and convert into customers. These are in individual companies that are on our target list. How about an account or a company? So in marketing, uh, when we're referring to an account or company, it's typically a company. And it is literally a field in our database that tells us um, the employer of, of the person that we're talking to. So I'm talking to, you know, the sales manager at one particular company. That company is, is what I'm focused on. Whereas sales, um, the account is everything because that's ultimately who, you know, the account becomes the customer. So we are trying to convert an account. And um, uh, the people are just, like I said before, the vehicles are impediments to get us to convert that account into a customer. And I think this is another place where marketing and sales differ because when I think about a company, um, uh, you know, gosh, help me think of an example 3M. here. 3M. Perfect. 3M. I, that's one company, right? You've That's just one person that you're going to sell to. That's someone we're trying to get to buy our product. But sales potentially looks at 3M a little bit differently. Yeah, there, there's multiple organizations within 3M that are potential targets for a salesperson. I'm not, I could be marketing to a particular division or subdivision of 3M um, that, that is siloed and doesn't talk to the rest of the organization. So that's who I'm, that's the sales target, not 3M as a company. I can't close a deal with 3M. It doesn't work that way. So once we're in the head of the salesperson, we understand how sales talks a little bit. Um, that's not enough. Now we can sort of speak their language and try to try to try to flip some of the discussion over into their language, or at least make sure that we're defining terms that we're using in our dialogue. Mm -hmm. We have to go one step further, though. We have to get inside sales heads and understand how they think. And I think this first comes back to something I mentioned when we were talking about contacts or, or specific person is that, you know, sales is focused on closing the deal, whereas marketing is really focused on on changing hearts and minds. You know, we've got we're looking at that, I guess, longer I'm not a sports person, so longer longer term play, is that what it's called? When you're, you're kind of looking at the whole game as rather than one individual play at a time. Um, and so that's where, where we differ. And so again, um, you know, we're not coming from the same place. We're not motivated by the same thing. Yeah, and, and sales is looking at, again, it's all about it closing, it converting accounts into, into customers. It's, it's closing deals, and people are just part of that equation. But the focus is on the deal. The focus is on the opportunity. The focus is on the account very different perspective coming back to the same thing. Now, what's kind of neat is that in recent history here, we have these new technologies that really are supporting older ideas of account-based marketing. And even if you don't plan on implementing account-based marketing, it's still probably worth looking at, if nothing else, just to get into your head how different the world could be if marketing actually worked within the sales context of converting those accounts. Yeah, it forces marketers to think in terms of that account, not the individual. So it's a mind shift for us. Um, but what it does, it also allows us to align our marketing activities with sales activities, which is very important because, again, the consumer doesn't see marketing and sales as different. They see us as one organization and they want a consistent message between what marketing is saying and sales is saying. And so when we're able to align our marketing activities and our sales activities, we ensure that that consistent experience is happening. And by now focusing on the same target list that sales is focusing on, that's one more way that we can come together and create that consistent message. 
So the consumer is getting a consistent experience. They've 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 had the opportunity to get the brand messaging, and the brand messaging uh, uh, supports then some personalized um, think think type messaging along the way. They come in, they start talking to a salesperson. They've been nurtured in a way that makes sense for the given account that they're with, um, and uh, as well as their role, their persona, and 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 how they sit within that organization. And then sales can pick it up from there. Whereas if if marketing is just focused on demand gen and we have our target audiences that may or may not align with the uh, uh, the target of the salesperson and may or may not include various gatekeepers, influencers, and other cogs within that within that sales process, um, you could end up with, with very disparate efforts that don't necessarily connect in the middle. And so, like I said, if you aren't – even if you're not in a position to adopt ABM as, as software – Taking some time to learn about it and read about it and some of the mechanics of it can improve our practices as marketers to, to, to close that gap. I think another opportunity that we have to help close that gap and, and, and increase the collaboration between marketing and sales is making sure that our, our goals are aligned, that we're, we're working towards the same, the same goals and the same objectives. And it, that sounds maybe a little counterintuitive because you think the whole point is we're both trying to drive revenue, but how we're how we do that and 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 what we're held up accountable to to measure our effectiveness on that is very different and that's where we run into some issues sometimes when we're talking to marketing and sales. So one thing we want to do is 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 set up some service level agreements and define again that shared vocabulary. What are MQLs? What are SQLs? Um at what point do they move through the cycle? And then what are those expectations once they do? Um you know, we want to make sure again coming back to creating a cons- consistent experience. I don't want my form to say someone in sales is going to contact you in 24 hours. And then in reality, it's it's 72 hours or a week before they hear back. Um, and, and that's what a service level agreement can help us to, to make sure that we are both working again towards the same same goal and making the same promises to the prospects. And also get some commitments on both ends. I mean, marketing now is held accountable to the quality and quantity of leads that we're going to generate. Um, and with that, you know, sales is held accountable for how they're going to process or respond to those leads. Sales lo- would love that, I'm sure. Um, we've heard from sales departments. If, if sales could say, you know, I know that you're going to give me X leads at this threshold each and every month, that gives them something to work with. And it's it's great for marketing, too, because, um, you know, now we know specifically what we're looking for. And it allows us, if we're not delivering that, we can come back and say, okay, what, what can we change? What can we tweak? What optimizations can we make to try and get what it is that we've promised to sales. And it gives us the the opportunity to improve our own um, our own lead scoring process and, and sort of the, what we've put in place to help deliver on sales expectations. Yeah, the key is a feedback loop. You you can't mm-hmm. have marketing operating in its silo and it's on its side of the fence and sales operating on its side of the fence. You have to have some steady communication between the two groups and you have to have a definition of what's a sales accepted lead. And if a lead is not accepted by sales, send it back along with some feedback so that so that marketing can understand how they missed, right? Because if if we don't understand how we missed, we can't we can't improve. Um, and at the end of the day, it really just becomes a matter of, of, of documenting the standards, the process, the procedures between sales and marketing so that that handoff can become smooth. And so you can increase that level of collaboration and start to overlap the sales and marketing experience for the consumer. Now, while each of these items is going to help us improve that collaboration with, with the sales team, there's one other way that we can um, really tighten that relationship with sales and really make sure that we're on the same page. 
Yeah, in addition to having um, you know our separate vocabulary where we we have different ideas of what an account, a contact, a lead, a company, et cetera, is. Um, there's an opportunity for some shared vocabulary. And um, mm-hmm. uh, the two areas that we found most effective when working with clients to really get sales and marketing on the same page is if you start to talk in terms of personas, because that persona translates directly into those influencers and decision makers and, and gatekeeper type roles that sit within that, uh, um, uh, that salesperson's world. And at the same time, they get into the hearts and minds component of the marketer. And now sales starts to see that heart and mind and marketing starts to see exactly how that person plays a role in the sales process. And the second way we can do this is through customer journeys. And we've talked about this a lot before. Um, but really, uh, you know, this is a tool that helps both the marketing and the sales team. But it's especially, uh, I think, helpful to the sales team in a few different ways. And that one, it helps to communicate what marketing is doing and how that fits into the sales process. Um, it allows them to kind of see not only, you know, we've got that shared vocabulary that comes from, you know, using the same personas and, and the names and understanding who our target audience is, but then we get into talking about what this person is looking for. What are their expectations? What's motivating them? What's impacting their decision process? And then that helps both of us kind of understand where we need to come from. But then as part of this document that we've outlined, you have a section for sales and marketing to put in what their own marketing activities are, their own sales activities. What collateral are they using? Um, how are they meeting each of those those expectations that were outlined kind of towards the, the top of the customer journey? And in doing that, we're able to see, okay, yes, we're meeting their needs here. We've we've definitely answered this question, but you know, maybe over here in Think State, there's this opportunity that marketing's not addressing and sales is not addressing. And that can start a conversation of 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 what's the right the right way to introduce this information, what's the right way to meet this client or this customer's expectations. And in doing that, again, we give sales a much better visual of what it is that we're doing on the marketing side. Marketing has a better visual visual of what sales process is and what they're doing on their side. And again, we can create that cohesive customer experience. It also helps us layer the two on top of each other so that mm-hmm. sales and marketing can work together in that middle part during that think state of that of that buyer's journey and introduce that salesperson, you know, either in an automated fashion through marketing automation or in a manual fashion through through sales activities that are, are triggered at certain parts in the process so that that salesperson can be part of that buyer earlier in the journey. And they're not just brought in at the ninth inning and uh, uh, simply become an order taker. I think we've covered a ton of ground in today's episode. I know we're running late, so I think we should probably wrap up at this point. Um, it would be really hard to summarize everything that we've talked through. So I, I strongly encourage you to go out and check out the show notes. If you, if you are listening on a mobile device and show notes are inconvenient, go to um, iterativemarketing.net slash podcast. You can sign up right there to get the show notes in your email so that you can go and see all of the rich links and stuff at your on your own time on demand, as we talked about earlier. Um, I want to thank everybody for making time for us again this week. If you haven't already, please pop out to iTunes and give us a review. We will recognize you on air when we can. And uh, we love reviews. It helps other people find our podcast because otherwise we sit in a black hole in iTunes where nobody can find us. And we don't like that. We'd like to keep doing this. So we need, we, we need an audience. Until next week, onward and upward. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast directory. If you want notes and links to resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. 
There, you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow Iterative Marketers. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our username is at I-T-E-R, the number 8, I-V-E, or email us at podcast at iterativemarketing.net. The Iterative Marketing Podcast is a production of Brilliant Metrics, a consultancy helping brands and agencies rid the world of marketing waste. Our producer is Heather Ullman with transcription assistance from Emily Bechtel. Our music is by Seastock Audio Music Production and Sound Design. You can check them out at seastockaudio.com. We'll see you next week. Until then, onward and upward.